the Wild One People, it's your boy Mo, aka the Hoop Genius. We're back in the building. New podcast alert. I'm joined by none other than the point guard guru, the three-time NBA champion, the number one agent in the game, my brother, the OG, Mr. BJ Armstrong. BJ, it's an honor to have you here. How you doing, my guy? Oh, man, it's beautiful. It's Sunday, we talking a little basketball. The playoffs have begun. Phoenix Suns just beat the Phoenix Suns just beat the Lakers. So we got a lot to discuss, my friend. Let's jump into it. Hey, let's let's get straight into it. Let's get straight into it with that Phoenix game one. I think we should just break down each series, what we're expecting, what we're thinking. That Phoenix game one, were you surprised that the Lakers lost the first game of the series? 99 to 90 for the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul got injured early on. LeBron James went down with I don't know if he was injured or if he was putting on a little bit of an exaggeration. We'll talk about that in a minute. But were you surprised with the outcome of this game? I was not surprised with the outcome. You know, the Phoenix Suns, they play well all year. Mo, as you know, we've, we've discussed them all year. They've been fantastic as a team throughout the course of the regular season. And we, had, we have no reason to believe that they won't continue that and play well at home. Now, the series doesn't begin till the visiting team wins on the opposing team's home court. So I think if they can, you know, protect home court, you know, they're in Phoenix. And now if they go there in LA and win, now we got a series provided they protect home court. So the Lakers know they had two games to win one there. You know what? They kind of, you know, it was a fill game out. They fill the game out, see what they're doing, see what they can, you know, make the adjustments. Of course, we know LeBron James is, you know, he's been doing that for quite some time. So there's no reason to panic there, Laker fans. But, you know, Phoenix looked good in game one, and we have every reason to believe that they can come out and and hopefully for them, they'll do the same thing in game two. And, you know, looking at the Phoenix Suns, that first game, we're talking about experience in the playoffs. That's the biggest question mark on this Phoenix team that I think a lot of people have is, do they have the experience to make a deep run? Well, looking at the first game and their first playoff appearances, Devin Booker, 34 points, seven rebounds, eight assists. DeAndre Ayton, 21 and 16. And that's 21 and 16 against the Lakers, who a lot of people consider to have the best front court in the league. I know you're a big fan of AD and Drummond, that pairing there when they signed together. I was a little bit skeptical on Drummond, who always looks good on a box score. He had 12 and 9 and shooting 70% tonight, but not a huge fan of what he actually brings on the court. Um, what, what do you take on the young guys? You know, you know, just from, from your experience, your first playoff run. What was that like? Are you surprised that Booker and Aiton are doing so well? Well, what I liked about both of those young guys is that they came out and they were very aggressive and they left it out there on the court. I, I, I love that. There was no hesitation from Booker. Booker came out and was going to be aggressive. He was attacking the basket. He was making, he was making great reads on the double teams and he took advantage of the mismatches when he had on whether that was on the perimeter mid post so forth and so on so he was terrific but i love his aggression there was no hesitation what he was doing whenever deandre ayton is aggressive that's just that's a that's a that's a plus that's a bonus for the phoenix suns and he was fantastic on both ends of the court tonight i thought he did a nice job he's an incredible athlete he can block shots he really can change the game in particular on the defensive end but when he's finishing over the top playing vertical basketball, along with his ability to, to rim protect, that gives them an added dimension on on the defensive side that they don't get every single night. But DeAndre Ayton, he was phenomenal. If he continues to play like that, he's going to provide some problems no matter what the Lakers do in their front court. 
And I think, you know, the unsung hero of this for me is, is Miles, Mikael Bridges. Not Miles Bridges. You know, I, I hate how they've got such similar <laughs> names. But Mikael Bridges, we've talked about him before. I did a little break, breakdown of him in the studio a couple of weeks ago. I love what he brings. He's been tasked with guarding LeBron. And, of course, they've got Jay Crowder, who's not a stranger to guarding LeBron James himself. So looking at that wing defense for the Phoenix Suns, I think that's going to be key in this. And I think for the Lakers, the key player for this series isn't Anthony Davis or LeBron. The key player in this series for me is Alex Caruso and those guards. Right. Because when we're looking at the Phoenix Suns, their, their main points of attack is Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Who's going to be able to slow them down? Who are they going to be able to throw at those guys to cause them some problems? And, you know, you could try and double-team Booker, you could try and double-team CP, but they're both elite playmakers as well. So it's not as simple as just shutting them down. So, Mr. Point Guard Guru, I'm going to have to bring you the question of how many games does this series go to and who takes the win? Well, I, I, I've said all along, I, I think this has an opportunity, you know, the, the Lakers. I picked the Lakers to win the series just based on experience. I would not be shocked at all. I want to say that, Mo, at all if this series ends and it ends quickly. And the reason being is because the more that LeBron plays, you know, and they're going to be playing virtually every other day, you know, that ankle, no matter where what he says or where we think it's at, it's just going to continue to get, you know, uh, let's just say no better than what it currently is right now, if not worse, right? Just because of fatigue, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's hurting, whatever the case may be. So I think this can end very quickly for the Lakers, like in five games or so, if the Lakers aren't careful. You know, but if LeBron James can somehow, you know, get a game there in in Phoenix, whether it's game two or game five, you know, I, I think the Lakers have an outstanding chance to really win this series. But I, I, I based on what I saw today, it didn't the Lakers didn't look interested to me. And what I didn't like about the Lakers was they didn't establish what they could do in the on the offensive side in 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 half especially in their half court offense and defensively the Phoenix Suns just looked quicker than the LA Lakers they looked quicker to the basketball they looked quicker you know getting to rebounds they, they were just playing a step ahead of the Lakers so the Lakers in game 1 didn't establish anything that which they could do and carry over to game 2 so unless LeBron James is able to put this team on his back and just carry them which I don't know if he's physically capable of doing right now. I think the Lakers may be in trouble. But in saying that, I got to give the champs their respect. They are the defending champions. I don't want to ever count the champions out. I did choose them, but I'm going like this, Mo. I'm really like, oh, ooh, it didn't look good. It did look good. You know, it didn't, it, well, it didn't look good. I didn't like what I saw here today. I didn't like what I saw. Now, I've got the Lakers getting in six. I think that the Phoenix Suns take the first two games at home. Then LeBron looks at the schemes that they're running at him and, and he looks at how CP and Booker are operating and he says, all right, cool, listen, AD, first of all, it's time for you to step up. Drummond, you get back to the bench. We're going to run AD at the five, which is where he should be playing. We talk about this all the time. Anthony Davis is a five, but for some reason, they're insistent on playing Andre Drummond or another big man alongside him. I think AD should just man up and step up, take on that challenge of being a five, run LeBron at the four and run three shooters alongside them because LeBron is the playmaker. And, and I feel like the Lakers can rattle off four straight because CP being injured, not looking too great going towards the rest of the series. Yeah. He it, didn't look like himself. He didn't. But I, I, I'm going to say this, Mo, and, and, I, and I wasn't, you know, dodging your, 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 your first question about the point guard position. You know, I'm a huge fan of Rondo. 
And Rondo provided them another initiator and ball handler last year. And the most important thing, Mo, is he provided leadership, especially with that second unit. And Caruso and Schroeder are going to have to step up to the plate and provide leadership and be a ball handler so that LeBron James can slide to that wing position and become a 30 point plus score. You know, last year, Mo, he did a talking about he LeBron James was excellent. He led the league in assists during the regular season. And then in the postseason, you know, we said at the beginning of the playoffs, he was going to have to score a minimum of 30 points a night to win. And he averaged right around 30 or 30 points or so to get that done. And, you know, Mo, I'm not seeing that right now with him. He doesn't look – something doesn't look right with this Laker team. They haven't been playing with the same chemistry and flow that I saw from a year ago. And I think that's going to fall on the shoulders of Caruso and Schroeder because Rondo filled in beautifully. Rondo came in, he organized the game, and he allowed them to have the flexibility and the versatility for LeBron James to move around the floor, whether that was a three, the four, or what have you. And that gave them another ball handler, which you need. So I don't know what Schroeder and these guys are going to do. Uh, defensively, you know, Caruso seems to give them, you know, some some type of energy on that end. But they need one of them, preferably both of them, to come in and really – really take over some of the ball handling duties so that LeBron James can do what he does and which is score and cause havoc, especially on the other teams, uh, you know, their defensive schemes. Well, the Lakers did for me in the offseason what I call the 2K rebuild. They upgraded on paper in what looked like it made sense. We've got Montrez Harrell, we've got Dennis Schroeder, both of them. If you have to give them a 2K rating, they're higher rated than guys like Rondo, Dwight Howard, Trevor Keith. But when you look at the game on paper, you miss all of the intangibles. You miss the experience of having right. veterans on the squad. Guys that have been there, done that. Like, basketball IQ is not tangible. You know, it doesn't matter if you're nominated for sixth man of the year with all due respect to Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell. There's some things to be said for chemistry, for feel of the game. And that's why I feel like the Lakers on paper are better this year. But I don't like their roster as much as I did last year. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Mo. I agree with you 100% what you're saying there. It's not been a good weekend in LA. Like, it's been good for you. I see I see you. The sun's out. You're the family. But <laughs> let's talk about my favorite teams to talk about. <laughs> don't go there, Mo. Don't go. <laughs> Mo, don't do it. Mo, don't do it. Don't do it. It's Sunday, Mo. Don't do it. Let's switch to the positives. Let's, let, let's switch it then. Let's talk about that kid, that boy, the wonder kid, Luka Doncic. The man that they do not have an answer for. You can ice the pick and roll. You can trap the pick and roll. You can double team him. He will find a way to find a teammate and get a bucket. The Dallas Mavericks put on an absolutely absurd shooting display. They went 17 from 36 from behind the arc against the LA Clippers. And Luka Doncic, as he, he's played, how many games has he played in the playoffs now? He's played seven games in the playoffs. Right. And he's had three triple doubles so far. That's like almost 50% of his playoff games in his career. He's had a triple double. Luka Doncic versus the... It's not even the Mavericks versus the Clippers. That's the rivalry. It's Luka Doncic. Because I've seen him talking his talk. I don't know if you saw that clip where where he posted up on Pat Bev. He scored a bucket and he screamed. Bear in mind, this is a guy in English is not his first language. English is not his second language. English is his third language. He posted up Pat Bev and then he screamed in his face, you're too small. 
Now think about the, what are you gonna go through. Not in Serbian, not in Spanish, but he had to think about what I'm gonna say in English. You're too small. You can't guard me. Let's talk about Luca. You know what can I say? Um, first of all, there's a lot of pressure. Whether the Clippers want to admit it, the Clipper fan base want to admit it, the staff, the front office, there's a lot of pressure on the Clippers. Either they're going to win it this year or they're going to have to break up this team. And after that win, you know, know, after the Dallas Mavericks win there in Staples Center, you felt the pressure out here in L.A. You felt it. It was it was total silence. And the silence was deafening. It was so silent because the Clippers were feeling good. You know, the Clippers, I think they got the matchup they wanted going coming into the playoffs. And give Luka Doncic credit. I mean, Luka was sensational. I don't know if they can shoot the ball like this for the entire playoffs or the entire series. <laughs> but when they do play like this, you can see how special of a talent he is. I mean, Luka, is a, he's, a, he's an incredible offensive talent. However, you know, I, I don't want to depend on me having to shoot the ball this well to win a game and give the Clippers credit. They still had an opportunity to win the game, even though Dallas played almost flawless basketball. They were they were sensational. I mean, they everything they had going, especially on the offensive end, was working for them. And but we'll see what game two, you know what they do. I, I think the Clippers will probably win this series. But, you know, the Dallas Mavericks, they have my attention. In particular, Luka Doncic has my attention. I was also, uh, you know, I will say this. I think I've, I've got the Clippers coming out of this in six games, but I'm going to get these jokes off until then. Yes, you are. Yes, you, yes so, you are. So, Paul, it took one quarter of last night's game until Pandemic P was trending. <laughs> and in America. Now, now, I don't know if you know, last night in the today was the final day of the Premier League. Eurovision Song Contest was last night, but it was Pandemic P that was trending over here in the UK. Iconic. That's all I Wait a minute, is it playoff P or pandemic P? Which one was trending? It's pandemic P until he wins the championship. We're not we don't know who playoff P is. Okay. He, he's yet to show up. I mean his box score didn't look too bad. 23 points, six rebounds, five assists. But let's be honest, man. You watched the first half of that game. If, if I'm Steve Ballmer, I'm, I'm asking for a refund on my team. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching that, man, because you've got, it, you've got all the pieces. You've got a coach who's gone out and won it before. It's time to start producing, and that is not... Because here's the thing for the Clippers. It's not just that they have to make a run because Kawhi's an impending free agent. It's because LeBron is looking hobbled, AD's missed time, right? That's the Lakers. The Denver Nuggets, we'll talk about them in a second, but they're missing Jamal Murray. And, and that's the two big dogs in the West. The Utah Jazz, they've never really made a deep playoff run. You can't worry about it. Everything's aligned for the Clippers to get out of the Western Conference this year. If they, don't, if they can't get out of the conference this year, next year when LeBron's healthy, next year when Jamal Murray's back, next year when, you know, the Phoenix Suns have one more year of experience. If it is, for me, it's championship or bust this year. I don't think Kawhi leaves, even if they don't win, because I think he just likes being in LA. But for me, they need to come back and make a statement in game two. Uh, but let's say in the Western Conference, keep it over here. We're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. The late tip-off. Everyone in the UK who watched that, it tipped off at 3.30 in the morning. So right. salute to the real ones who were up for that. But what was your take on that? The you're talking about Denver and Portland Trailblazers, right? Is yes, that... sir. Yes, sir. Dame dog. Well, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I saw. And I'm sure it wasn't this way, but this is what I saw. Defensively, I wasn't sure for the entire game 
what Denver was trying to do versus Damian Lillard and CJ McCullough, right? Were they trapping them? Were they switching them? Were they forcing them to, were they trying to play funnel basketball to meet them at the basket? I wasn't sure what the defensive game plan was for the Denver Nuggets. And that was disturbing to me because we know that the Denver Nuggets, you know, those two guards, they've been creating havoc now for years. And the two best players on the Denver Nuggets, if there is a glaring weakness to both of their games, talking about, you know, Mr. Jokic and Mr. Porter, Michael Porter Jr., defensively, both of those players, that's not their strong suit. So you got to find a way, if you're the Denver Nuggets, to cover up what it is you don't do well so that you can allow those players who we know both of them are going to score and they're going to score at a high clip. Jokic and Michael uh, and Porter, they were terrific on the offensive end. But defensively, I was disturbed by what I saw in the in game one because I wasn't sure what they were trying to do. I wasn't sure. Like, are they going to trap them? Are they switching? Are they running them into, like, help? I wasn't sure. And Damian Lillard, to me, looked like he was just too comfortable. Mm -hmm. CJ was too comfortable. Melo came in, and all of a sudden, he was just, you know, he got a quick, you know, I don't know, 20 points or so. And, and they were booing him. And they, yeah, it, it, it's like, it's a very, it's a very complicated relationship that Melo has with, with Denver. I, I'm not sure, because this guy, he was tremendous when he was there in Denver. But that's neither here nor there. So I think in game two, the Denver Nuggets have to establish what are they trying to take away and what are they going to do versus, you know, the, the Portland Trailblazers? What are they going to do? Because if Denver, if Portland can get their shooters opportunities to shoot where they're comfortable from, they're going to make that more times than not. And if they are hot, especially at home, I don't think Denver has a chance. So I don't know what Denver's going to do. Are they going to trap it? Are they going to switch it? Are they going to funnel it? Are they going to get rim protection? I have no idea, but I want them to do something because you can't waste efforts like Jokic had and Porter. Those are two terrific efforts on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. But defensively, let's figure out what we're going to do there. And I'm sure Coach Malone and staff had a plan, but whatever it was, it wasn't executed. And I feel that now the – the Portland Trailblazers, they have confidence. And when you give a team confidence, in particular Damian Lillard, that snowball can begin to roll down that hill. And it can roll very quickly because Damian Lillard, you know, you don't want to give a shooter an opportunity to see that ball to go through the basket. And now I feel that they've seen the ball go through the basket a few times now, and now they're feeling good about themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I like just, you know, to flip on to the other side, I like what Portland did. I like what Nurkic offers. I know Nurkic right. isn't a great defender, but he's got the size and the strength to stay with Jokic and yep. give him single coverage. Yep. Because what happened last year with the Clippers and why the Devon Nuggets were able to be so good against them is they're regarding him with Harold, who's much smaller than Jokic. He's mm -hmm. a pass over mm -hmm. the top. Then when you throw doubles at Jokic, he's like Doncic, but seven foot tall. He can find the open man without even looking. He knows with the eyes in the back of his head where the open man's going to be. So I like the fact that they've got two big bodies in Nurkic and in... Even in his cancer, who's not a great defender. Right. But he's a big body. He's a big body. He's a big body. Because yep. because the thing is, like, Ennis Cancer's not a great defender when guards put him in the pick and roll. But if all he's got to do is stay in front of Nikola Jokic uh, and keep a hand in his face and stop him 
Because if you can give him single coverage, that really takes away the advantage that the Nuggets have of Jokic making these. It makes it so much harder for him to find these passes because then the onus is put onto his teammates to get open off the ball. I'm looking now for Aaron Gordon to step up because he's got traded there. He thinks he's got all-star talent. He thinks he's a great player in this league. It's time to come out and prove it now because there's no Jamal Murray. You need to be the third star. We know... Michael Porter Jr. is, is going to come and drop buckets. We know Jokic is probably going to put double-double, triple-double every night. Aaron Gordon, uh, unfortunately for him, because I feel like Denver signed him to guard the big wing players in the Western Conference, the LeBron James, the Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. It just so happens to match up with the one team that doesn't have any wing players that need guarding. Like yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but I'm looking for Aaron Gordon to step up now because really, you've got to give me more than 16. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm going to say something, you know, again... I'm not there. I'm just watching the game. You know, the problem to me with Aaron Gordon is Aaron Gordon, just like Michael Porter Jr., they are those players, I don't know, 6'8 to 6'10, somewhere in there. And they're not really a three. They're not really a four. They're some type of hybrid at a four position. And Aaron Gordon, to me, is probably more four than three. Now, the one thing I don't understand about how they've been playing Aaron Gordon since they traded for him is the following. If Michael Porter Jr. has it going with the first team, let's say him and Jokic have it going like he did, why not take Aaron Gordon out of the game so that he can anchor the second unit? Because why do we need Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter, and Jokic always on the floor together? Like, if, if Aaron... You know, especially with no Jamal Murray, no Will Yeah, exactly. Morris is hobbling away, coming off. Exactly. Aaron Gordon can score 20 points a night. Michael Porter Jr. can score 20 points a night. Jokic can score with either of those guys. He's going to get enough touches. He's going to get his touches no matter what. But the other two, to me, you got to stagger them so that they can get enough touches to have an impact on the game. Because why are we playing with Michael Green and and Millsap, and the other two guys are on the floor, not in the game. Put those guys in so that you can like have fillers, you know, so you can always have a dominant score on the floor for the entire 48 minutes. I'm not criticizing the coaching staff. I'm just saying Aaron Gordon is a very capable scorer with touches. He's a very capable score, just like Michael Porter, but there's only one ball, so you got to figure out how to – stretch the game out so that Aaron Aaron Gordon should be anchoring the second unit, especially as a power forward, if he's going to start at the three position. Well, I think they like to get him looks off of Jokic. They're big believers in like, – they like to run that, you know, the, the elbow action that we, we've discussed a lot. I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm with okay with that. But screener action as well. But I hear you. I do I'm okay you. with that. I but, just, why, yeah, why not Aaron Gordon, though, getting touches in the second unit too? Like – or Michael Ford. It doesn't matter which one. Just mm -hmm. stagger it because now, you know, when Jokic is on the floor, Jokic is going to get all the touches. He should get all the touches. Mm -hmm. He's that great of a player. But we're talking about talking about dominant forces coming off the bench. Um, I do really want to have a conversation. Even though we lost last night, I think we talk about the Time Lord. <laughs> Very nearly put up a triple-double. 11 points, 9 rebounds, and 9 blocks 
in 22 wow. minutes of action. And a bad toe. And we got to say, he on had a bad, bad toe. toe. On a bad toe. You know what? Listen, yeah, give him credit. Give him credit. We, we, you, you WhatsApp me at the exact same time, and the message just said, Tango. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that, that was funny. That was funny. You and I were both watching the game, obviously, and give him credit. Give him credit, man. Just, you know what? When, 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 you know what I love more than anything is when young players, you see them just growing. I mean, he seems to be putting together piece by piece where he's playing complete games in 20 minutes. So now it's like, how do we get him on the floor for 30 minutes? You know, unfortunately, he has this bad toe. And if anyone, you know, has had a, you know, a, you know, a toe injury like he like, you know, it's being reported. Those are very painful. And, you know, you need your you, you got to push off every single time. So but give him credit, man. What how impactful was he last night? He, he was huge. I just want to, you know, talk about his injured toe. What's great about him and the reason why he can block so many shots, you know, from the, the player's point of view is the amount of time it takes for him to jump after he lands is so quick compared to the rest of the league. Right. He jumps for a pump fake. He will land and jump again by the time you get the shot. That's the, the beauty of his game is the time that he spends on the floor between jumps is very minimal. That's why he can block all of these shots, right? And the Brooklyn Nets, who are one of the most potent offensive teams we've seen in a long time, down that stretch in that fourth quarter, they were reconsidering everything when they got into the paint and saw him. I've never seen people pass up looks like I did last night before. And let's give the Celtics credit here. Not just because they're mighty. Let's give the Celtics some credit. They were, they were leading this game for the first three and a half quarters. They had no business leading this game. They, right. they have no business winning a single quarter of this. If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I'd be looking to win every single quarter of the first four games and move on into the second round. The Celtics have no business. They're missing Jalen Brown. Evan Fournier says that he, he has a concussion type symptoms every time he plays. I was expecting this series. I, I spoke to you about it before. I thought this would just be Tatum padding his stats, but all of a sudden we're seeing... Jabari Parker giving us minutes. <laughs> and I'm looking like, that. we've got a game on our hands. It was a fun game. What was your take on the Brooklyn Nets big three finally playing together for the, I think, the ninth time this season? How's that looking? Well, you, you know, these guys have yet to, they haven't found any rhythm or chemistry with one another. But give them credit for this. They're trying to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, I, I was watching the game and I was saying, who's probably had the most difficult job coaching because coaching in the nba is a very difficult you know job and steve nash hasn't had these guys on the floor together more than what nine or ten games or something <laughs> you know it's, and somehow some way he's kind of you know pieced this thing together you know Kyrie's here he leaves james harden's here gets traded he gets hurt KD is coming back and we're trying to fit him in. Is his conditioning? They Blake Griffin comes in. Lamarcus Aldridge comes in. He goes out. And throughout all of this, we still believe, and people still believe, the experts still believe that Brooklyn can win the championship despite all of these moving parts. So I think Coach Nash and staff, they deserve some credit for putting this together, first of all. How do they look? You know, you, you know those guys aren't healthy right now. You, KD is great as KD pl played. I mean, he, he was terrific again on the offensive end. I mean, I mean, you know, he was he was he was awesome. He's unbelievable. I love the fact that he took on the matchup with Jason Tatum. I love the fact you know they're trying to figure it out, and they're just exploiting 
any mismatch. So whatever Boston is going to do, the counter is always going to be whoever has the matchup, they're going to take it on the, on the, especially on the offensive end. So that's what, the, I mean, that was their offense. So I, I don't want to see Tristan Thompson ever again in this. <laughs> I, I, I was watching the game with someone and I was trying to explain to her, she was like, why do you hate Tristan Thompson so much? I was like, it's not personal. I've not got beef with the guy, but you watch this game and you will see. And within me saying that the next three possessions, guess what Brooklyn did? They went screen roll. ISO, Harden, three-pointer over Thompson's head. Kyrie, bucket over Tristan Thompson. Harden blows by, gets to the bucket. And she goes, why does he run so slowly? <laughs> and I said, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I told you I don't want to see him on the court. They're just going to exploit that mismatch every time. I felt right. bad for Jason Tatum, but this is a great learning experience for him because now a defense's sole attention is on him and on him alone. They're throwing everything at him, and he's having to make plays. He went cold in the second half of last night's game, which was understandable. Kemba Walker, I don't even want to talk about Kemba Walker. Please, OKC, pick up the phone and accept a trade deal. We'll give you as many draft picks as you want just to get that contract off the boss's oaks. He's not built for playoff basketball, in my opinion. I love Kemba. He's a great guy, uh, great heart, great effort, great leadership, but he's not the Kemba that we knew in Charlotte. But let's keep in the Eastern Conference in what I believe was the most exciting game of the playoffs so far, and game one yesterday, between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat, the most right. interesting series. Went down to the wire, and then it went down to the wire again in overtime. Jimmy Butler, of course, with a huge bucket, send it to OT. And then Chris Middleton coming up clutch, and Drew Holiday with a great defensive effort to stop the Miami Heat hitting the game winner. What's your take on that series? Who you got? We'll run through who you got and how many games after. But what's your take on that game one? Well, you know, I, I was really happy for the Milwaukee Bucks because the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, even though they lost the series last year, they weren't at full health. And, and, Giannis clearly is a big part of this team. And when he got hurt last year in the playoffs and not taking away anything from the Miami Heat and what they were able to do last year, because they were sensational throughout the playoff and their playoff run last year in the bubble. But I was happy for the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Milwaukee Bucks, they have a good team. They have a great player. You know, I'm a huge fan of Giannis. And I think it's different. You know, for the most part, the playoffs has kind of brought the game back to form, you know, Playing at home matters. And when we got to the bubble, we saw some amazing playoff performances. And I thought part it was a do because of, you know, of the neutral site that they were playing in. There was really no home court advantage. With the exception of the Golden State Warriors, every team basically has won at home now in the playoffs. So, And, and, and I will say that's not the Warriors' home arena. Yes, that, yes. That's only in San Francisco. That's not the heart. They're wearing Oakland jerseys, but they're not representing Oakland. That's why I want to say for all my people out there in the Bay Area that weren't happy about them relocating. I know it's the big money move, but I just it's, want to say that. Right. As well. Yeah. So the home teams have kind of stayed true to, you know, true to course, you know, of, of the NBA. And I thought Milwaukee, this was a great game for Milwaukee. Now, let's see what happens in game two. Game two will be the tell of the tape because, you know, the the Miami Heat, they're well coached. You know they're going to make adjustments. And they are confident versus the Milwaukee Bucks. If the Milwaukee Bucks can hold serve here, I think they had, they have a mental advantage over the Miami Heat because they just they would have shown Miami that, hey, we can beat you at home. And you know what? Now we have an opportunity to come beat you in your place. So I, I I like Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee's going to win this series. I got I have Milwaukee in six in this series. I think Milwaukee should win it. 
I think home court does matter. I don't think these guys will be shooting the ball on the road as well as they shot it last year because they were all in the bubble. So I'm going to say Milwaukee in sixth uh, during this. I like, that, man. I, like, I like the Bucks. I hope they get through. You know, Drew Holiday is such a big upgrade on Bledsoe. Whatever, yeah. like, because last year it was Giannis, Middleton, and then Beer. Whereas yeah. This year right. it's Giannis, Drew. Less pressure on Middleton because we've not really mm-hmm. seen him make shots of that magnitude before, in my opinion. He really stepped up, and now he's feeling a lot more comfortable. And then PJ Tucker offers you more versatility at the right. back because now you can run units without Brook Lopez. So now you can switch everything if the Heat decides to go small. It's some interesting defensive schemes from Budenholzer. I've seen them trying to go over a lot of screens, especially on the dribble handoffs, which if they keep doing that, Eric Spolster will find a way to exploit as the series progresses. So it's going to be interesting to see the coaching battle between these two guys because Spo absolutely schooled him in last year's playoffs. That's going to be fascinating to me. Um, you know, we, we'll talk briefly about the Wizards and the, and the 76ers. The Wizards came out strong. Surprised a lot of people in the first half. Alex Len started off hot. Bradley Beal found his rhythm doing Bradley Beal things. Russell Westbrook struggled a little bit. But in, in terms of looking at this, I don't think there's too much to say. I just think it's a mismatch of talent. Yeah, the yeah. Sixers are just too good. I, I agree with you. You know, Joel Embiid is just, you know, he's an incredible player. And I think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I think physically they 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 are, they are physically, you know, they have a physical advantage over the you know the the Washington Wizards but I think this is going to be for them throughout the entire playoffs however you know that the Washington Wizards aren't going to go down without a fight I mean Russell Westbrook is going to fight tooth and nail for the entire 48 minutes you know Bradley Bill is going to be there I think Washington out of pride will win one game but I'm going to give the Philadelphia 76ers I think in five uh, but I expect the Wizards to win at least one game there at home uh, back up there in Washington I need to see more from Ben Simmons, though. He had six points. He had 15 assists and 15 rebounds, which is great. But we're talking about the size mismatches. If Ben Simmons wants to take that step to the next level, this series is the perfect way to him to prove himself that, okay, I've got a mismatch. I'm going to go post up this guard and him with the little jump hook. I've got Russell Westbrook coming backpedaling in transition. All right, cool. I'm just going to put my shoulder down and go at him like I'm LeBron James. I want to see Ben Simmons stepping up and doing more on the offensive end. Tobias Harris dropped 37 points. My theory is that although Doc Rivers is Austin Rivers' father, I'm sure Tobias Harris must be Doc Rivers' son as well because for some reason when he's on a Doc Rivers coach team, he plays like an all-star. Whenever anyone else is coaching him, don't give me that version of Tobias Harris. But give me the Doc Rivers Tobias Harris, that's money. That's money. I love that. So we're recording this right now for anyone wondering. We are still yet to see the Hawks and the Knicks. We're also yet to see the Jazz and the Grizzlies. So we're going to wrap those up later on in the week. But before we go, the, the Jazz and the Grizzlies, Donovan Mitchell's not playing game one. I think the Jazz in five. I think Ja Morant and, and Jonas Valanciunas is, for me, one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Using the confidence they've got from beating Steph Curry and all this, I think they can steal the game. But I think this year might be the year where I finally am forced to stop talking about the flaws in Rudy Gobert's game. I think that the Jazz have been so good and so elite this year, they can get through that first half by coming How are you seeing that matchup? You know... I always feel like I'm I, I'm I, I'm against the Jazz. I all because they have the best team. They have the best team. They have the best record in in the entire NBA this year. And but I'm never convinced that you know the way they win because you know they they depend on shooting, and they depend really on one player to anchor their defense. And in the playoffs. 
you know, it's a little different. And the difference will be the following. I'm concerned about the Jazz versus either one of the teams they could have faced in the first round, which was I thought it was worse if they played against the Warriors. And the reason being because, yeah, because Steph Curry is just going to exploit Rudy Gobert. Mm -hmm. But as you know, John Morant, who is not as his, he is not as experienced as Steph Curry, but he possesses the same amount of problems. And I think this is going to be a major problem for the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert. And here's why. And here's why. Because I know right now that I can play screen role and get John Morant a, a, a shot versus Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert cannot stay and protect the, the paint. He can't. We saw what the Denver Nuggets did a year ago, Jamal Murray. The problem with Rudy Gobert is the following. As long as Rudy Gobert can rim protect, he is perhaps the best defensive player in the league. In the playoffs, I'm going to exploit that, and I'm going to bring him away, and then it's going to cause some problems, whether they're going to switch it or they're going to double-team it, or that guard is just going to go crazy a la Jamal Murray. This kid, John Morant, he grew up in last game. If you talk about a, a breakout game, or a career-defining game. Okay, we saw it with John Morant. We're going to all point back and go, that was the one where he said, John Morant is here now. Okay, he did that versus Steph Curry. Okay, he went on the road and took Steph Curry's best shot and won the game in a must-win situation for both teams. Now this kid has confidence, and I think, I think this goes seven. Okay, and if you're asking me right now, I'm going to pick the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm picking the Memphis Grizzlies right now. Listen, that's a hot take. That's a hot take. I'm taking the Memphis Grizzlies right now. Here's my thing. It completely and utterly depends on how John Morant shoots the ball from outside. That closeout game against the Warriors, he went 50% from behind the arc, right? Right. He's a a 27, 30% three-point shooter. So for me, it depends. Is he going to take that confidence, let it fly from behind the arc? Because they're just going to play drop coverage. They're going to let Rudy Gobert screen roll, sag back in the paint, say, John Moran, all right, cool, you come and try dunk on Rudy Gobert. We'll live with those attempts. Okay? Right. Now, the reason why Steph Curry and I think the Warriors would have beaten the Jazz in the first round is because you can't drop coverage on Steph Curry. If you run that 1-5 screen roll, Steph's getting a shot if you try and drop, right? But with the Grizzlies now, they're going to invite John Moran to shoot the ball the same way the Warriors did. That's why I think they can definitely win one game because if John gets hot shooting. But then, you know... John Morant being, being the explosive guy that he is, getting to the bucket and then creating plays for others, I think that the Jazz will live with, you know, Rudy Gobert dropping into the paint and inviting John Morant. I, I agree with that. I, I agree with that. But why does John have to take three-point shots? I don't think he has to. John Morant has shown me he has a in-between game. He has a mid-range game. And he has, to me, what all the premier guards have. He has a floater and a runner. Now, we know he can finish over the top. He can finish over the top of anyone. But he's not going to – that's not where his butter – that's not where his bread is going to be buttered at. He can get to the free throw line, and if he makes 50%, 60% of those shots, and then if the runner and all of that is dropping, Rudy Gobert is going to have to do something. He's got to he, – he's going to have to do something. And they're going to play better at home. Why? Because you got the crowd, you got the energy, and they don't have their best athlete. 
this is not like an athletic team. <laughs> to talk yeah. about the Utah Jazz. <laughs> You're not talking about like an athletic team. So I expect all the loose balls, you know, this team should get Memphis. And I expect all the athletic plays Memphis should get. And if John Morant is making the three, this might be quick work for the Memphis Grizzlies. If he's making the three like he did in last game, because I don't see anyone that can stay in front of John Morant at any course during the game. And I don't see anyone. How are you going to switch? Where, where are you going to switch to? Where you, where, what are you switching to? Like, okay, so you're not going to put Bodanovich. Joe Ingles, I like him, but he can't stay in front of John Morant. Jordan Clarkson. Royce O'Neal. Okay, Jordan Clarkson, maybe, but that's not his That's not his thing. I feel you. And Conley's coming off an injury. Conley, I, I, I'm just telling you, I don't yeah. like this matchup. And I'm telling you, and, and I'm telling you this, that kid, Valanchunas. JV. JV is a very capable player of getting 15 to 20 points a game. And and if you're not and if you're not and if you're not careful, he'll mess around and get 30. I, I yeah and, and, and exactly that's what I'm saying. So I'm gonna say this and I'm I, I Memphis, I'm gonna pick Memphis because I picked I, Memphis I, in the last game. I picked Memphis in the last game. This kid now is playing at, 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 and speed does two things it gets you in trouble and it gets you out. And I don't see any other speed on the other side of the court. <laughs> I, I don't. Listen, I, I like it. I like because it's a weird win for me now. If the, if the Jazz go through, my prediction's right. If the Jazz lose, you're gonna have to tune in for our episode where we talk about Rudy Gobert. We're gonna we're gonna save that for another day. But before we go, the series that you've all been waiting for, the hardest series to call in a long time. This is the this is the like it literally every hour my mind changes on who I think's winning this. The New York Knicks, as you can see. New York Knicks fans always get on to me about giving them hate. I'm wearing a Knicks t-shirt today. I'm rooting for you guys today, okay? The Knicks and the Hawks, talking about two very all-defense Knicks, all-offense Hawks. Defense wins championships, but at the same time, I'm worried. Oh, what happens if there's a game where Julius Randle gets into foul trouble? What happens, you, you know, if, if D-Rose is having an off-night shooting ball? I worry about the other options on the Knicks offensively. But having said that, I worry about the Hawks defensively because Trey Young is about to get exposed. And what I say that is when you watch guys like Kemba Walker, when you watch guys like Stephen Curry in the playoffs, the other teams, if they have elite players, we're talking about the LeBron Jameses and the Kawhi Leonard's of the world, they will hunt you down in a mismatch. They'll run a screen roll action where the guard comes and sets the screen for the wing, get you switched onto them, and they'll blow by you, get a bucket, get an and one, and, or they'll shoot over the top. Now, looking at Julius Randle, that's barbecue chicken every time now. Look at this. Right. He's having an MVP caliber season. So not only am I concerned about Trey Young, I'm concerned about Bogdanovich, who's been a lights-out shooter. Defensively, he worries me. Gallinari, I've got mad love for Gallo, but defensively, he worries me. John Collins, that's my guy right there. But he's got eaten up by Julius Randle throughout every matchup they've had this season. A lot of the pressure is going to be on Clint Capella now. But Clint Capella is going to have to guard Julius Randle and stay out of foul trouble and protect the paint. It's worrying me. On my bracket earlier, I picked the Hawks in six. Ooh. Because there's no Ooh. way. Ooh. But, but there's no way the Knicks lose a game seven in Madison Square Garden. Now, <laughs> this is what I'm saying is, is I it just I just go back and forth. I can't pick a winner for this one. Like if you ask me in an hour's time, I might say the Knicks are seven. Well, they're about to tip off now. Um, so we're gonna go catch that in a second. But BJ, I need to know your prediction before we go. Who have you got? The New York Knicks. I got the Knicks. Atlanta, I got the Knicks. I, I, I got the Knicks. I like Atlanta. I think the Atlanta, you know, look. I'm a huge Nate McMillan fan. 
I love Nate. I love what Nate has done since he's taken over with this team. I think this team was playing much better on the defensive end than they were earlier in the season, which probably preempted, you know, the the the, the firing there, what happened down there early in the season with the coaching change. And Nate has been terrific. However, this New York Knicks team, they're built for the playoff. They've been playing playoff basketball the entire season. So the way they're going to play here in a few minutes is going to be the same way they play during the course of the season. Now, I don't know how far that's going to take them, but it's, it's two things I know with the Knicks. The Knicks are going to play tough on the defensive end. They're going to be well-prepared. They're going to have a scheme. And the Knicks are going to grind this game out. <laughs> they're, they're going to grind. Now, 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 if Atlanta has a chance to win the game, just like the Dallas Mavericks have a chance to win the game, because if Dallas, if Atlanta is shooting well and they're capable of having those one of those games, or maybe two of those games, maybe for the entire season, Gallo, Bogdanovich, Trey Young, those guys are real shooters. Okay, those guys are real shooters. They can shoot. Yep. If they shoot the ball well from three, it's gonna it's gonna spread the game out. It's gonna extend the game out, and then the Knicks will have to play out of character. They'll have to play faster than they probably want to play. They'll probably have to begin to shoot more threes themselves. And then they'll have to start playing a way that they probably don't want to play. But if the game is dictated by the tempo of the Knicks, I think the Knicks win this series. I think the Knicks win this series in six. I think it's going to be a great series. I think both of these coaches are two of my favorite. They're two of my favorite coaches because, you know, Nate McMillan was a grinder as a player. He likes to grind as a coach. The way he had that team playing in Indiana. And, you know, this team now is beginning to take on his character, you know, talking about the Atlanta Hawks. And they're not a defensive-oriented group. But the Knicks, man, I, I'm just – I'm excited. There's going to be all the stars. They got they got a packed house. I think they sold out in like 25 minutes. I mean, springtime, basketball, playoff basketball in New York. Come on. It doesn't get much better than that. And, and, and what I'm hoping for, we need a Knicks – Nets in the playoffs. That's what we need. We need that. We need that. We if you and I need that, and we need to you and I need that. We need that. Having said that, the Knicks will have to be the Sixers in order to get to the conference finals. So let's take it one step at a time. Listen, I'm excited. The one thing that's exciting for me in this series, I don't know if they're gonna deploy the secret weapon, but my boy Frank Nelikina on the New York Knicks, Frank elite defensive guard, put him on Trey Young, throw him off his rhythm, throw him off his game. I think that's a card that they've got on their sleeve. That's what I'm really looking forward to. Um, I think that the Hawks are going to miss Rondo. I think Lou Will is, yep. is a great pickup for them, but they are going to miss what Rondo brings. Right. But, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see how far these teams go because what this series is going to do now is both of these teams have overachieved. I don't think either of these teams expected to be the fourth seed or the fifth seed. So now it's having an impact on their offseason because they're going to be further ahead than what they thought they would be this time last year. So it's going to be interesting yeah. to see not only this series and how it plays out, but the knock-on effects in the off-season. But we'll get to that when we come to it. BJ, thank you so much for coming through, my brother. Appreciate you. Love chatting hoops with you all day. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm hoops with you after this next game. Let's see how this goes. All right. I'm going to hit you up after this next game. But everyone who's listening, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, whether you're listening on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you're listening on. Or if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. Leave some comments. If you've got any questions, we're here to answer your questions. We'll be here giving you more regular updates because you guys are always telling me you want more content. 
It's go time now. Come on, I'm on my Tom Thibodeau flow. I'm working the full 48 minutes. We're going non-stop. We're locked in. We're locked down. You know the vibes, as we say. We'll catch you next time, my people. Get buckets.